1: Welcome back into Cougar Tracks here on KSL News Radio and KSLSports.com. BYU is excited about 2023 because it brings on the Big 12 Conference. And of course, we're continuing our getting to know you edition of, of all the new Big 12 programs. And one that I'm very fascinated by is the UCF Knights. And to get a better understanding of UCF sports, the football program, basketball. Joined now by Orlando Sentinel, UCF beat writer, Jason Beatty. And Jason, I, I get the sense for among the four new programs joining the Big 12, I know BYU is really excited, but I kind of feel like based on social media, UCF seems like they're very excited as well to be joining the new Big 12. Is, is that a fair assessment?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think UCF has been waiting for this for a long time. Um, you know, they, they, they've been kind of the, uh, you know, the up-and-coming program the last decade or so, going to the New Year's Six Bulls, making the marks madness, getting national attention for uh, on- and off-the-field things. And uh, I think UCF is really ready to, uh, you know, call themselves a Power Five program because they feel like they've been competing at that level for so long.
1: What are the the maybe the the big questions uh, or big hurdles as UCF transitions from the AAC to the Big 12? What are the biggest challenges that uh, Terry Mohajer has in front of him to try to get the Knights ready for the Big 12?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, of course it's exciting that they're headed in this direction and um, you know, I think it's something that like I said they've been waiting for for a long time. They've been in the American Athletic Conference for about 10 years now, so uh it's flown by, I think for a lot of UCF fans they're ready for new teams, ready for new places to travel to. I think everyone's looking forward to that. But I think the biggest challenge is the financial aspect of it. Um you know obviously going to the Big 12 is is a bump in uh you know you talk about TV revenue and ticket sales and everything. You you know, UCF able to mark up the prices of tickets cuz there's need you know power five football is going to be played at the bounce house and Uh, on on campus and you talk about big 12 basketball and whatnot but you know financially that isn't going to come for a few years right there's no windfall of cash it's not like a big check at terry marage's door on july 1st 2023 that says you know welcome to the big 12 here's you know millions and millions of dollars they have to wait and uh you know i think there's definitely obviously an excitement for that power of five money, they eventually come in at full. I think they've mentioned, Brett, your market Marcus said before, and Mahaj just talked about this in the past. The first couple of years, you know, they're only getting a, a certain percentage. I don't remember what it is, but they're not getting the full amount, right? And then once that new TV deal kicks in, I mean, they're going to get like eight or nine times more, whatever the exact, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it's going to be a, a ridiculous more amount of money they're getting in the big 12 from the TV deal alone uh, compared to the American deal. Um, so that that's you know, as time goes on over the next five, six, seven, eight years, maybe the next decade, you're going to see, you know, plans go into uh, effect where they're going to be working on, you know, uh, upgrades to facilities, retaining and hiring coaches. Um, cause that's always been the biggest thing with UCF is they've had so much success with less. I mean, if you look at it across the country, the one of the programs that does more with less is UCF. Um, I think that's something you've seen recruiting on the field success. And obviously the big 12 move is exciting for a lot of reasons, but so financially, uh, that's the biggest thing. But the challenge about that is it's not immediate. It's, it's going to take years to compete. And, and you look at fundraising and, um, you know, net revenue and whatnot, UCF's near the bottom of the barrel there, uh, compared to the rest of the big 12.
1: Uh- I'm curious too, Jason. When you when you mentioned the the fundraising component, I, I think back to I had a conversation last spring with Bob Bowles before before he stepped away at the Big Twelve spring meetings, and he, you know, in, in one of the common themes that I think the national college sports writers have talked about is UCF's enrollment, how it's huge, and it can be a, a, really a huge alumni base that could eventually become you know loyal donors. Has that is there still optimism that that's that's growing since this move to the Big Twelve that uh, that fan base is becoming larger, and uh, the fundraising efforts are, are trending upward as they head to the Big Twelve.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think um, you know UCF announced a new fundraising uh, initiative, uh, you know, last March, and uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it exactly. I don't oh, Mission Twelve? That's right. So Mission Twelve is the fundraising initiative that la- they lost. They launched about a year ago. Maybe we're coming up on even maybe eight or nine months ago. And uh, that's obviously themed towards the big 12, right? Mission 12 uh, going into the space theme that UCF likes for their annual space game as well. And, um, you know, I think when you look at UCF's financial fundraising problem, they do a really good job, right? They they obviously fundraise at a high level That was something Danny White, the previous athletic director did very well. Um, you know, they obviously have facilities that stand up and, uh, you know, compare. I think fairly well to some other programs in the, in the state and maybe in the Big Twelve. Even obviously, the, the bounce house FBC Mortgage Stadium is is one of the smaller ones, but it's still uh, a great atmosphere. But you know, when you, you look at the financial fundraising aspect of it. I think UCF has two paths to go down. They need to either cast a wider net. Right, they have like three hundred thousand living alumni with an average age of like forty or forty two years old, really young alumni base, or they need to increase the amount of money they're getting from their donors right now. And I think they want to do both, right? You want to increase the number of people who are donating and also increase the amount of money that's being donated by those people. Um, but I think really key is, um, you know, making it important and, under- and expressing the importance of fundraising the Big 12 uh, and competing with some of the Big 12 schools in that area. So they definitely have a Strong foundation. Uh, they have something called the shareholder Society. That's kind of like the uh, special club <laughs> for donors as opposed, right? And there's levels to it. You know, I think the bottom level is twelve thousand uh, dollars annually over you know five years or something like that. Like you commit a certain amount annually up to a total amount, and there's different levels to that, right? So you know, the top levels close to the ad and and so on. So they're definitely uh, heading in the right direction in fundraising but they have a long way to go.
1: I'm curious too, Jason, uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, vi- trips during BYU's time as an independent was back in 2014 to the bounce house. That was a really good game. It was, you know, just a random game. BYU UCF on a Thursday night. I think Reese Davis was on <laughs> the call. It was a it, great atmosphere. You talk about that. I'm, I'm curious. Can you paint the picture for BYU fans? They're going to want to make the, the trip to Orlando because they're naturally going to like it. Just just a heads up, LDS people. More LDS people. They love Disney, so they will be coming in droves to Orlando. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of LDS people uh, in in uh, Orlando already. I have a sister and and brother in law that live uh, down there too. But uh, I'm just curious, like to paint the picture of the atmosphere at the bounce house on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday prime time. What what's that like?
2: Oh yeah, no, it, that place it gets rocking, literally. Um it's it's nicknamed the bounce house for a reason. It physically shakes uh when, when fans are bouncing up and down and jumping around and um, you know, obviously BYU's played here before, so I'm sure some of the fans uh you know remember that trip listening. But you know, if you go back and, and look at that twenty eighteen game when college game day came to campus for the first time ever, UCS was the top twenty five matchup against Cincinnati. And that was one of the loudest games I had ever been to. I mean, you couldn't hear anything. And even though it, you know, only holds 48,000 people, uh, it really is one of the best atmospheres in college football. You know, the whole place shakes. The place is just going crazy. Uh, you know, one of the main traditions they do during the games, I guess right before the game is when the team runs out of the tunnel, they play Zombie Nation. And, and the whole stadium's just rocking, like literally rocking. <laughs> if you're up in the press box and you have a cup of water, you can watch the water shake around. So it's just an electric atmosphere, and it's obviously worth the trip uh, from Utah. And, and you talked about Disney World around the corner, Universal Studios, uh, downtown Orlando, and, and really UCF. You know, the campus itself is it's, it's a modern campus. It's beautiful. It's absolutely massive. Um, and I think um, it, it's worth the trip, no doubt. Is it ca-
0: I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold.
1: from your perspective in the media to think that UCF's in the same league as a team in Utah and BYU because I'll admit it's <laughs> it's crazy to me to think we're we're talking about a, two teams that are you know thousands of miles away and they're the same league but it should be pretty fun
2: yeah absolutely and I think um you know if you look at the American Conference there's definitely some teams that uh it's a bit more regionalized than what the Big 12 is about to become but uh, it, is, it is exciting. It's really exciting. I'm, I'm excited to visit some new cities I've never been to and some new college towns. I think you look at the cities in the American Athletic Conference, you're talking about Memphis and Philadelphia and uh, you know obviously Orlando and Tampa. And, and you go to some of those college towns in the Big 12. I don't think UCF fans are, are ready for that. I mean, uh, that, that's that's really exciting for myself as well. Yeah, it's,
1: it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm curious with uh, UCF, football because I can vouch for what Jason's saying Cougar fans it it is a electric atmosphere that experience in 2014 was outstanding and how has Gus Malzahn um, maybe put his mark on this program Uh, you know because Scott Frost came in and and did an extraordinary job reviving it from 0 and 12 and, and building it back up to a national contender and then Heupel did a fantastic job as well kind of but it kind of it kind of got sideways a little bit at the end. I saw that at the Boca Raton Bowl in 2020. But uh, how's Malzahn doing? Where do you think the football program is trending in heading into the Big 12?
2: Hey, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Scott Frost and Josh Heupel, And those two guys, when they arrived at UCF, they were first-time head coaches. And when Gus Malzahn was announced and hired and introduced at his introduction press conference, I, I just noticed the difference in a first-year head coach, right, and an experienced coach that's coached at the highest levels, that coached in the SEC. I'm not saying Scott Frost and Josh Heupel didn't do a great job. You obviously highlighted their accomplishments, right? But you could tell the program took a step above with Gus Malzahn and the staff he brought in. Um, and, and just that experience in the SEC, I, I've, I've noticed that the last couple of years. And, you know, year one, uh, I think they had high expectations. Uh, it obviously went a different direction when Dylan Gabriel broke his collarbone the week three of the season on the road at Louisville on the last play of the game. They had to turn to a freshman quarterback and Mikey Keene. and and I think a lot of fans didn't have high expectations for that season once Gabriel went down, and, and really Gus Malzahn uh, did a great job, you know, kind of rallying the troops and and working with what he had, and and Mikey Keene developed into a a, a quality quarterback. They won eight games. They go to the Gasparilla Bowl. They beat the Florida Gators for the first time. They, they finished with nine games, and they have a lot of momentum going into this past season. Uh, and, and Gus Malzahn has worked the transfer portal like nobody else. Uh, the last two years, and, and the, including this current cycle, he's really done a good job of adding high-quality transfers. I mean, it really is quality and quantity. Uh, he has those SEC connections. There were a lot of Auburn players that followed him to Orlando uh, and he continues to work that SEC uh pipeline really in some of the transfers he added. The name the name that some fans might recognize is John Rice Plumley. Uh he was a you know stellar his freshman year at Old Miss, got switched to wide receiver under Lane Kiffin and decided to come join Gus Nelson for this season at quarterback. And I think there were a lot of high expectations for UCF. I think they um you know they wanted to make it back to a New Year's six bowl. They did reach the American Conference Championship and they lost a really good two lane team. So uh, even though they had the same amount of wins, nine wins as Gus Malzahn's first year, the season definitely uh, went differently than I think a lot of people expected. I, I don't think many people expected that UCF would lose to East Carolina on the road and then actually lose to Navy at home. Uh, but the fact that they made it to conference championship, uh, reached another bowl game, they lost to a good Duke team in the military bowl. Um, I think the season ended kind of on a low note. They lost three of their last four games. A lot of guys were injured. Uh, but already in the time since the season ended, you know he's continued to work the transfer portal um, and, and bring bringing some high-caliber players for the Big 12 that first season in the Big 12. So I think it's heading in the right direction under Gus Malzahn for sure.
1: You mentioned the experience, too, of Malzahn. Uh, how valuable do you think that'll be in having a coach that's navigated the rigors of Power 5 football week after week in the SEC? How much of an impact do you think that'll have in kind of preparing his team for a Big 12 schedule.
2: Well, here's the most interesting thing about Gus Malzahn. You mentioned navigating the rigors of a power five schedule, right? Week in, week out. Uh, that's always been the number one knock on UCF to make these big bowl games. And, and people say, well, imagine if you played in the ACC every week or imagine if you played in the SEC every week. And UCF you know, continues to produce NFL talent. But with Gus Malzahn leading the way, you know, he knows what it takes to win at the highest level, right? And he actually recently just gave up play calling. Um, that was something he said he was going to probably do for the rest of his career when he got hired at UCF. And after two years of NIL rules and the one-time transfer portal, I mean, college football has changed dramatically, right? In, in a short amount of time. So Gus Malzahn this season is kind of handing things off to his new offensive coordinator, Darren Henshaw. He was a UCF quarterback in the '90s uh, and, and served and spent some time at Kentucky. Most recently at UAB, comes back to UCF and to take over this offense and stretch the field vertically a little bit more. But for Gus Malzahn specifically, he's going to be more as a CEO of sorts, and he's going to be more involved in the NAL world and the fundraising world and uh, overlooking the entire program as opposed to just, you know, obviously a head coach, coaches a little bit of everywhere, but focusing on the offense is what he was doing before as a play taller. I think he put it perfectly when he goes into his office at the end of the day, he's not going to have to worry about what they do on a third and two or third and one but instead focusing on the fundraising, and the NIL and the roster management and everything that goes with being a head coach uh, in in 2023 because the job has changed dramatically for him. So I think that role, he's excited for that role. Um, I think he's, you know, number one, a lot of Auburn people have talked to me over the years, how is Gus liking Orlando? I mean, he just seems so much more relaxed, Mm. so much more at ease. Uh, I think he really likes the Florida life, that relaxed living in Orlando, and and living in a place where so many people want a vacation. So I think Gus Malzahn is the right head coach for UCF as to go into the Big 12.
1: A few more moments with Jason Bedia of the Orlando Sentinel getting to know the UCF Knights Athletic programs. Uh, Jason, Johnny Dawkins and UCF basketball are having a really good year right now. Uh, I think one of the better stories in college hoops that uh, close calls against Houston. Uh, They had a win over Oklahoma State, a future Big 12 foe. But how much sleep is... uh, Coach Dawkins losing over the thought down the road of the gauntlet that is Big 12 hoops because I I, I can only imagine it's uh, – seeing what's happening in the Big 12 or this year, you just think, man, what what uh, what is that going to look like next year for UCF and hoops?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you look at the amount of uh, Big 12 teams that can make the tournament this year. I think Illustrator wrote a column recently talking about how basically there's a scenario where every Big 12 team can make the tournament. is might not happen, but I think eight, or eight of the 12 or whatever the number is, seven or eight of the teams at the conference could make the tournament, which, I mean, for UCF, if you finish ninth or 10th in the league, they have a pretty good shot at making the tournament. I think a lot of fans, you know, I think UCF is definitely more of a football school with a basketball program that has, has had success. You know, Johnny Dawkins has gotten this team to the tournament. They obviously almost upset Duke in 2019, I'm sure. Uh... Some listeners watched that game. Aubrey Dawkins comes up short right at the end against Zion Williamson and Taco Fall. And I was at that game. I think uh for the UCF fans listening, they probably turned it off <laughs> trying to trying to forget about that game. But Darney Dawkins is a is a college basketball star. I mean, he he's really you talk about a big time coach. I think a lot of players look up to Darney Dawkins and understand his experience at Duke, uh and, and USA basketball and um, you know, he, he's put together a really talented roster this season. Uh, he had a lot of roster turnover. And the number one star that they added was Taylor Hendricks. Uh, and Taylor has been everything they wanted and more. He was a four-star prospect out of South Florida. And and he might be UCF's first ever one and done. I think Johnny's going to want to really pull him into playing a first season in the Big 12. But uh, Taylor Hendricks is, is a budding star. And, and look, I think that helps UCF recruiting as does going to the Big 12, obviously, in football, basketball. um, You know, I think the term power of five is definitely more of a football term, right? But Mm -hmm. it impacts basketball branding as well. Uh, To have that Big 12 logo obviously going to one of the best basketball conferences, if not not the best, I think, uh, in my opinion, um, it it impacts basketball recruiting. You start to see that, you know, some of the athletes they're going after maybe wouldn't have even listened to UCF before. I know it's a little different basketball versus recruit versus football recruiting, but um, that has a big impact on it. So I think Johnny Dawkins definitely understands the the jump they're about to make. Uh, But I think that Oklahoma state win the Bahamas was big for, for not only Johnny Dawkins and his team, but probably the fan base to go, okay, we can, you know, if if we, if we build the right pieces together, you know, they can compete, but obviously the big 12 is a juggernaut and it's, it's going to be, Uh, definitely a learning curve in terms of competition. I'm
1: curious too, Jason, with, uh, you know, I'm always fascinated by the, I've been trying to get to know a lot of the Olympic sports programs too because, uh, you know, BYU is always pretty proud of their Olympics and they want to try to go into the Big 12 and and compete in those. What's the Olympic sport at UCF that maybe no one talks about that uh, really has been a power or is maybe best position to step right into the Big 12 and maybe contend and be in the upper crust?
2: yeah that has to be softball mm. um you know you look at last year the run they made they hosted a regional uh and they and they beat some big twelve teams uh last season i i don't remember i don't think they are in front of me, but I remember them uh you know sharing some uh a graphic that had i think they went two or three and zero against big twelve teams. It was kind of a a funny graphic but um you know they're obviously still the american but Uh, they, they, uh, the softball team and and the program they're building, they have a superstar in Jada Cody, one of the best players in the country. Uh, they, they made the NCAA tournament last year, hosted a regional beat Michigan advanced to a super regional. And of course ran into one of the best teams of all time, not just this past season, but one of the best teams of all time at Oklahoma in the super regional, they actually scored a run, which I I know that sounds really like, wow, congratulations on scoring a run. But you look at that night, if you watch softball, You'll understand what I'm talking about. Number one Oklahoma last year didn't give up that many runs, and uh, they ran into them in the Super Regional. But I think if the, the, the entire body of work the last few seasons, I think outside of football and basketball, softball is, is, a, is a, I mean, maybe even better than basketball. They'll be able to compete in the Big 12 right away uh, because of the program they're building there.
1: You can follow him on Twitter at the real Beatty. He's Jason Beatty, and check out his bylines at TheOrlandoSentinel.com. dot com. Jason, appreciate all your time and uh, giving us out here in Utah a, a glimpse into UCF athletics. And I'm sure we'll cross paths maybe in U- football media days and whatnot. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it.
2: Absolutely, I'm. I'm looking forward to making the trip out there too. I've never been over there before.
1: You'll enjoy it out here. It's it's uh it's an awesome part of the country. Let I, I think we can all agree. We're all just anxiously waiting for that Big 12 football schedule. Like, bring it on, your mark. We need that football schedule so we can get the planning going. But uh, if, if BYU yeah. and UCF do uh, play in Provo, it'll be a good time. You'll have you'll have a great time out here in Utah. But thanks again, Jason.
2: Thank you so much. Really appreciate
1: it.
0: I'm Dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold.